London, May 17, 1985. Oleg Gordievsky was at the pinnacle of his career. A skilled intelligence officer, he'd been promoted a few months before to resident, or chief of the KGB station in the British capital. Moscow seemed to have no clue he'd been secretly working for M16, the British secret intelligence service, for 11 years. You're listening to Casual History. Hello, hello, Jacob. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Casual History. We're back. Yes, we are back. It's been a few days longer than we expected, mainly because I have been slammed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Up you've against been, a you've wall. Been with work and everything happening with you, so I understand. It's all good. Yes, yeah, so I apologize up front to those who were expecting an episode um, earlier than this, but... Yeah, like a couple days ago. We, but here we are. That's right. We're here now. What did, what did they say? What did Gandalf say? A wizard is never late. Oh, God, if I mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you're referencing the Princess Diaries where a princess no, 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 is, no. Never, <laughs> is never late. Everyone else is merely early, Jacob. No, 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 no. The, the quote is from Gandalf. Trust me, I watched The Lord of the Rings the just gray a couple days ago. Or the white? Yes, the gray. Okay. I mean, this is the very first movie, almost opening scene. Oh, okay. Oh, can you hear Wyatt in the background? He's protesting too. He's telling I cannot, me. so you're clear. Um, oh, good. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, he basically says, um, a wizard is never late. Um, he arrives precisely when he means to, I believe is pretty close okay. to the direct quote. So yes, we arrived precisely when we meant to. <laughs> exactly. Which is now. To do this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get your feedback off the jump from okay. that initial um, opening I did. Any recollection of what we're going to be talking about today? I, I have never heard of this story before, but obviously I know the KGB. I know the British Intelligence uh, Agency, so okay. I do know that. So is this, is this James Bond? Is this 007, Jeffrey? Well, what this was, I'm not going to lie, I got inspired by a TV show called Spycraft on Netflix. Ooh, Okay. Um, it's a new one. It came out, and I, this is no promo. It's not like we have anything to promote. No, no, of course not. But I started watching it, and it was about all of these insane, the insane links our intelligence agencies have gone through to gather voice recordings, information uh, from our air quotes enemies, right? Right. Um, and it's been going on for so long, and I, you always, and for me. I always had in the back of my mind, spies, you know, you, you have this sense of what they are, what they did, but they almost feel like a figment of your imagination, right? Oh, they for feel sure. like a it fantasy. Feels like, and I'm sure Hollywood has blown them up to certain proportions, but there are crazy events that have happened with real life spies and assassinations and all the crazy things that you associate with movies. Yeah. They're for sure real. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. There was one story I got hooked into and so it's this long article, so I'm not going to try to pretend that all of this was me, but I thought what I would okay. do throughout here, uh, because it's so good, it's so lengthy, um, and it's really just a good story, but it's a real story, um, okay. and I so badly wanted to tell it, to share it in the best way I could, 
and then um, kind of give some information on who the KGB were. I, I again for those for me myself, you have I have an idea of what the KGB was, but just kind of giving a bit more background. Same with the GRU and M16, which are all, all main proponents of this story. Um, yeah. And so that's what I thought sounds, we'd do today. That sounds perfect. I, I'm going to go close the door to my room real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so just in case so you don't hear my dog, my dog is has the most personality in the world, and I put him up for these podcasts for this reason, and he does it anyway. So We'll take a second break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> back. Good. That's all right. That's fine, Jacob. That's fine. We all got yeah, life you know, duties here. Life, life of uh, having children, you know. Yes, they are your children. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, going to start off with this story. Um, anything you want to touch on before we jump in? Is there? How's your week? We didn't even talk about each other's week. How? Have Dude, been? I know. Do uh, we need it, to? They've been. <laughs> what? I said, do we need to? Uh, sure, sure, we can. Dude. Just on a side little tangent, we don't have to speak a lot on it, but uh, I tried the two new Coke uh, coffees. Wait, what? I just tried. <laughs> yeah. Have you not heard about this? No, I did. This is breaking news. <laughs> it's not breaking news. Uh, literally, they've been selling it over in other countries uh, for like years now, but they just brought it to the US where there's like uh, Cokes mixed with coffees. And? But it's officially Coca-Cola. And... I tried both kinds because I went to the grocery store I want and I was verdict. like, I have to define. Dude, they're not great. They're not great. <laughs> Maybe it's an well, acquired taste. It's definitely acquired taste. It's like a vanilla Coke with an aftertaste. Like the Coke is so strong, you don't taste coffee. Hmm. Um, I don't know what I was expecting. I'm sure I could learn to like it, but it's not something I can go out of my way to get. No, um, Unofficial on- review. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and then I just tried the, uh, they have the black coffee one. Which coffee is a lot more strong than that, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know, just a weird taste, man. And then Coke is so strong and embedded in my brain of what yeah. Coke tastes like, and so when you add an unnatural, like extra sweetness somewhere, I'm like, it just like turns me off. It's weird. Well, that's it, folks. You heard it on Jacob's <laughs> reviews, um, yeah. which is a good segue because if anyone's gonna have caffeine, personally, yeah. I wouldn't be sleeping if I was. Uh, Oleg Gordievsky. Yeah? That's uh, a good yeah. segue. <laughs> this is a good segue. You like that? You like that <laughs> yeah, switch? I like that. Keep going. So I'm going to start from the top. You heard it at the opening, but I'm going to set the scene. London, May 17th, 1985. That's the timepiece we're in. Okay? Um, and it was what I mentioned at the top. Again, I'm just going to say it again. Uh, he, at this point, has been a secret intelligence service um, agent of the M16, so a double spy for 11 years now. Okay. Wow. And he's been reporting to Moscow um, and he's been, you know, they thought he was one of their own. Okay. And so that that's the opening scene and I'm just going to go from there. Okay. Okay. Go for it. So it was a Friday. Gordievsky receives a cable ordering him to report to Moscow and it's in quotes urgently to confirm his promotion and meet with the KGB's two highest officials. And at this point, Cold fear started running through his down his back. This is yeah, quote from terrifying. him. Yeah, this is directly quote. So I'm going to quote him in this as well. So he's on record here, okay? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And he says because he knew it was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. He'd been back to the headquarters only four months earlier, and at that point, all seemed well. And now he feared the KGB's counter spies had become suspicious and were recalling right. him to confront him. 
And if he refused the summons, he would destroy his career. But if he returned home, he could be killed. So right. his M16 handlers, right? I, I didn't realize this, but of course there's an agent between the agent and the agency when oh, you're a double course. spy. Um, which can you imagine? I, I try to put myself in that scenario. I would lose my mind. <laughs> what do you mean? The double as, as cross. Just like, oh, dude, no. Yeah, like the stakes are so high. So high. I'm sure you get I'm sure you get comfortable with it. Like I'm like some sort of comfortability know, of like you make friends. How else would you get gain the trust so well? You have to literally be like living it, like yeah. living the lie. Hundred percent. So well, so you have to get kind of semi comfortable in that world and with the people. Mm-hmm. So, but how scary? Yeah, how like a cold sweat must have ran through him just getting that call. So an agreed sentiment, fear, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> fear. So he his, may have been found out. He doesn't know. And at this point, his M16 handlers were assuring him that they'd pick up picked up no sign that anything was wrong, and they urged him okay. to go to Moscow. But they also provided him with an escape plan just in case he signaled that he was in danger. So, Gordievsky decided to risk his life and go. Okay? End scene. Next scene. Athens, May 21st, 1985. After the Tuesday morning staff meeting at the Soviet embassy, Coloner, Colon, excuse that, whatever, (laughs) Sergei Ivanich Bokan stayed behind to talk to his boss. Oh, yeah, Servovich. Yep, 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 whatever I said. I just ran through that. Um, <laughs> the local, his boss was the local resident of the GRU, the Soviet Military Intelligence Agency. Um, as okay. the deputy chief, Bokan was privy to all GRU spy operations aimed at Greece, the United States, and other NATO countries. And after they chatted for a while, the resident said, By the way, Sergei, this cable came in and tossed it over to him. It said... Bokan's son, Alex, who was 18 at the time, was having trouble in military school and suggested that the deputy take his vacation now, three months early, and return to the Soviet Union to deal with him. Bokan froze. In his mind, he recalls himself telling himself, stay calm, they know. His boyhood oh, no. nickname back in the collective farm in Ukraine was Mole. Now a stocky, powerfully built man of 43, he'd been working for the GRU for 16 years and feeding Soviet secrets to the CIA for 10. He so knew, a separate, separate he's spy? He's a separate spy, but it's all connected. So right. he knew instantly that the cable was a ruse. <laughs> Only oh, a few really? days earlier, he'd already called his brother-in-law um, Kiev, where Alex was st- in Kiev where Alex was studying, and he'd been assured his son was doing well. Only a few days earlier. Mm. So mm. to suddenly get this cable, he's going, wait a minute. Something's off here. Something's and afoot. He's, he's been a part of it for 16 years. He knows. 10 years he knows he's been a, a, right. a double spy for the CIA. Okay. Um, and Bokan assumed that both the KB, KGB and GRU were watching him. So he decided to leave Athens, but not for Moscow. Okay? Hmm. End scene. Next scene. Moscow, August 3rd, 1985. Think of the timelines that I just started mentioning out, okay? It was 2 right. a.m. when Andrei Polshuk, another separate guy, separate spy, got home. The 23, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, not spy, journalist. The 23-year-old journalist had been working for um, 
Novosti, the Soviet press agency, essentially, okay? And through the windows of the ground floor apartment he shared with his parents, he could see strangers moving about. A large man let him in and flashed a badge and said, your father's been arrested. And the man said he would not say why. He questions him, saying arrested, impossible. His father, uh, Leonid Polshuk, was a senior KGB counterintelligence officer most recently the deputy resident of ca- counterintelligence in Nigeria. So okay. this is a separate scene. I'm just trying to paint these yeah. scenes because they're all going to connect to one person bratting, we think, but then there being a mystery to this because someone got away with... Okay. Yeah, trying yeah. to keep it uh, separate in my mind. Definitely. So on. I'm trying to end the scenes. I'm sorry. Um, but up to this point, right, for months, Andre had been hoping his father would find him an apartment. He'd graduated from school, found a job, and he wanted to live on his own. Housing in Moscow was nearly impossible to find, and even for a KGB officer. Uh, But sometime that May, he'd received a seemingly miraculous letter from his father. It said his parents Mm -hmm. had unexpectedly heard of an apartment they could buy for him. So his father decided to take his vacation early and come home to close the deal. So Leonide and his wife um, had been back two weeks when the KGB showed up at the door. And he, okay. he, he's quoted saying it was surreal, like a bad nightmare. Andre told me I could not believe what was happening. I went into the bathroom, locked the door, and tried to st- it just stared at himself in the mirror. The KGB right. men at this point searched the apartment all night. And in the morning, they took him. They took him and his mother, my grandmother, and, his, and I think his brother, um, and put us in separate, basically put him in car, black cars. Um, they were driven to an infamous prison for interrogation. Um, and on the, that first day, basically, the son ends up trying to ask what's going on, what's wrong with my father, um, why are we here? And the only thing that they let slip was that um, for espionage. So okay. I'm setting down the scene so this of is, multiple is this, spies uh, getting caught. Is this the son uh, whose this father is son, worked there for 16 years? This is the son, yes, this is the son of okay. uh, the last spy I was just talking about. So right. what I'm trying so to point out. So he was found out. Yes, exactly. So the son, he wow. was saying, who was fine, right? He was saying his dad came home early. The stories match up. So they got them to be in this, a specific place, took them. Um, basically, the, the thing I'm trying to lay out is that all of these different spies, uh, who were double spies, started getting caught during the same time. Okay pretty crazy and so mm-hmm. um essentially 1985 was a catastrophe for u.s and british intelligence agencies in addition to gordievsky bokan and polshuk the spies i just mentioned more mm-hmm. than a dozen other sources were exposed uh that fall the kgb rolled up all of the cia's assets in the soviet union in a lightning strike that sent the agency reeling Ten okay. agents were executed and countless others were imprisoned. Wow. Yeah. How did they fi- figure this out? Exactly. <laughs> How does suddenly they know the list of all of their spies? Yeah. Oh, no. Insane. There's a rat, Jacob. There's a mole. Yeah, there's there's a mole. Oh, man. It reminds me of The Departed. Where a little like, bit. Yeah, <laughs> the I devil spies. <laughs> a little bit. There's a lot of that going on here. Um, so fa- at this point, the CIA faced with the unexplainable losses yeah. of all their agents in October the following year of 1986, set up a small, highly secret mole hunting unit 
to uncover the cause Ooh. of this disaster. I just want to put myself in that situation and try to talk about yeah. that. Think about being the double-double. Like, you're trying to lure a fellow spy into giving up that he might be a double spy. So you have to play the mind game on mind oh game game. <laughs> I can't you, imagine. Uh, how do you keep up with that? <laughs> yeah, I can't how imagine. Do you, how do you say the right things to everybody? How does that, how does that work? I, I have no clue. So yeah, um, s- skip forward 10 years, or f- sorry, let's go eight years. They end up arresting uh, a man called Aldrich Ames in 1994. And it okay. seemed that the, this was the mole uh, that the hunters had found, right? This was the mole they ended up finding, okay? Right. Because when he began spying for the Russians almost a decade earlier, Ames was the chief of CIA's Soviet counterintelligence branch and trusted right. with secrets that would be basically extreme... Uh, dangerous and of value right. to the KGB um, and he was about to be married and they think this and so what they end up thinking is that his debts were mounting mm-hmm. and so after Ames was arrested and charged with espionage um, by the CIA right in 1994 his attorney right. Plato uh, I'm not going to say his last name negotiated a plea bargain with prosecutors um, basically Ames wife Rosario an accomplice in his spying would be would spend a long time in prison, it, but if he cooperated fully with the authorities, and extended CIA and FBI FBI debriefings, he talked about his nine years of spying for Moscow. Okay, including okay. the day when he turned over, in his words, the identities of virtually all Soviet agents of the CIA and other American foreign services known to him. Wow! But there's a there's a hole in this. Because that day was June 13th, 1985, by Ames' account. Mm-hmm. In his fourth floor office at CIA headquarters in Langley, supposedly, Virginia. He wrapped up five to seven pounds of secret documents and walked out of the building. He drove across to the river uh, to Washington, D.C., and entered Chadwick's, a popular Georgetown restaurant, where he supposedly handed the documents to a Soviet embassy official. The agents he wow. betrayed that day, he said, included Oleg whose CIA codename was GT Tickle, Serg J, uh, which we just mentioned, Bokan, or uh, as he's known, GT Blizzard, and Polshuk, who's known as GT Way. But, Jacob, this doesn't add up. The CIA and FBI debriefers soon recognized a glaring anomaly (laughs) anomaly (laughs) in Ames' account. It was clear that these three agents, specifically at least, had fallen under suspicion in May 1985 before Ames insists he handed over the documents. Interesting. So the timeline just didn't work. To explain Gordievsky's recall to Moscow, FBI special agent Leslie Weiser, who ran the Ames case, explained at least the timeline based on what Ames said when he was debriefed. If it wasn't Ames, then it was someone else. So we begin to search for the source of the compromise. And that raised a possibility that remains even today. A subject of deep concern among counterintelligence agencies, um, agents, a problem privately acknowledged but little discussed publicly, that the three agents may have been been betrayed by a mole inside the U.S. whose identity is still unknown. Right. The FBI declined to comment on whether the search Wiser began is continuing. So it's, it's an ongoing process. 
Even from the eighties? Yes. Oh yeah, because if he's still if he's still there, imagine if this this person who supposedly gave away the information is still involved, Jake. Right. Exactly. It, it creates such a like a hole, like how a do terrible you, how thing. How do you so fix that? To, yeah, I don't know how do you fix that. Also, side tangent. Uh, what do you want your spy name to be? Because GT Blizzard, GT Tickle, what? <laughs> GT Tickle. Um, I, I what would your spy name be? I'm gonna have to think on that. We should think on that and come up with it at the end, and then put okay. it as a uh, GT Lightning. Done. Oh, you're done. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll think on it. I have no, I have nothing going on right now. You're wearing a Guns okay. N' Roses T-shirt, so I'll be GT Rose. Yes. There you go. I like it. Those um, are good. GT Lightning and GT Rose. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> so, but essentially, right, the mere belief that there's another mole, whether correct or not. So, like, even if it was this man who claimed it, even though the mm-hmm. timelines don't match up, this is going to cause chaos inside an intelligence agency. It's like you said, the departed. You think you're someone, you trust someone, but the trust doesn't go that far. Like, there's a loop. There's a loop. And then you start questioning everyone. Basically, basically, you can destroy a whole agency when that's what you're basing oh, 100%. it on. So um, do you wonder if he said that on purpose maybe. for somebody else? Who knows, To man. do that very thing? He could be a fall guy. Who knows? He knew maybe if he cooperated. Maybe he did say it at the, and he said the wrong time just to give <laughs> True. chase. True. He could be, you know, he could do that just to kind of little thorn in the, the process. Yeah. Why not? But essentially, this ended up being the proponent of a lot of uh, disruption and the reason that a lot of CIA officers were fired or sidetracked in their careers. Um, right. Basically, they couldn't ignore it because the possibility of a mole isn't really an option either, right? Like you can't ignore that. To, right. To ignore that option. So, no. Uh, the stories of Oleg, Sergei, and uh, Polshek reported um, and in this basically thing I'm about to read is based on interviews, so I just want to mention that as well. Um, okay. As well as former F- FBI and CIA officials, um, which suggested damage a mole can do. So, back to Gordievsky, the initial story I started off with. Yeah. As soon as Gordievsky landed in Moscow, he picked up signs that he had gambled wrong. Uh, on the front door of his okay. apartment, someone had locked a third lock he never used because he lost the key to it. Um, so essentially oh. he knew that there was a break in and clearly the KGB yeah. had searched his flat. Some days passed before his boss, Victor Grush- Grushko, drove him to a KGB um, site saying some people wanted to talk to him. Gordievsky was served sandwiches and Armenian brandy. The next thing he knew, oh. he woke up half-dressed in one of the site's bedrooms. He'd been drugged, and a KGB general told him he had confessed. And in quotes, he woke up to the man yelling, confess again. Gordievsky oh. was taking home, taken home after this, but Grushko confronted, confronted him at the KGB site the next day. And he says, we know very well that you've been deceiving us for years, he said. Gordievsky was told his London posting was over but he would be allowed to remain in a non-sensitive KGB department in Moscow. I found this relatively lenient. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. Just from what I was expecting. Just <laughs> I wonder if they liked him. I mean, again, he's been there for 16 years. Um, well, what they think is essentially that they, find, they found it uh, 
obvious that the Soviet counterintelligence agents didn't have enough evidence to arrest him. So okay. this was just a general belief that's a spy. If you just generally believe some of the spy, maybe there's a hit. I don't know, but that's essentially what yeah. they believe um, ended up being. The and there's saving. so much. There's so much like web this could go down, as far as like. Also, if you again, it's not like those 16 years have been spent in isolation. This man has been among you. Like you know who he is. He's you know like he's been around. He's been joking with you. Um, Maybe they kind of liked him, and also the added feature of, again, being able to turn someone, say, like, if he doesn't tell his intelligence agency, and he's like, you've been over here for 16 years, we want you to return it, and still act like you're a part of their agency, but... What ended up up coming out was, basically, he's being told that he believes they were just waiting for, to catch him, essentially, waiting for him to contact the British intelligence, and they basically... We're just touring with them. You know, you're like, we're, you're going to mess up. Basically that they expected he would do something stupid. Um, right. That it was only a matter of time and sooner or later they would arrest him. So mm. at this point, his escape plan was bound under the fly leaf of a novel. He had to slit the cover open to read the instructions. <laughs> oh, wow. He was to stand okay. on a certain Moscow street corner on a designated day and time until he saw a British looking man who was eating something and he did so mm. but nothing happened he tried again the following uh, following the fallback plan and this time a man carrying a dark green bag from Harrods uh, the upscale London department store walked by eating a candy bar it was the signal to launch his escape on the appointed mm. day he started a uh, proverka or dry cleaning walking an elaborate route to throw off anyone who might be watching him um, and from a Moscow railroad station, he made his way by train, bus, and taxi to a point near the Finnish-Soviet border, where he hid in some grass by the roadside until two cars stopped. This mm. is pretty extravagant. I was reading this That's going, pretty crazy. Like, this can you imagine shit. being in that situation? <laughs> yeah. Inside the cars were three British intelligence agents, the candy bar man, and two win- women one of whom was Gordievsky's M16 case officer in London. Although Gordievsky had written that he, um, he climbed into the trunk of one of the cars, a former CIA officer says he actually crawled into a space in a specifically modified Land Rover. So, like, mm. crazy. <laughs> just, again, the yeah. stuff that you don't realize is just out there and that they're doing is happening, you know? It's real stuff, <laughs> it's man. It's happening. It's real stuff. Essentially, had the Rus- Russians examined the car, they would have seen the hump on the floorboard where the drive, shafts, drive shaft would normally be. But this mm-hmm. Land Rover's drive shaft had been rerouted through one of the vehicle's doors. And the oh, former CIA shit. officer says they, this was done so that Gordievsky could fold himself into the hump and effect hiding in plain sight. Wow. That's incredible. The links you go through, I mean, they they Dude. they batted for him, you know, like they went out yeah. to swing for him. They didn't just leave him to get, you know. But I think also he's right. an asset. He's a he's if you leave him, he's gonna double turn on you. And oh, for sure. Any information he has, you know, you, you don't want. You would hope that his training would kick in, but obviously, if you can keep him from falling into enemy hands, where that's a possibility, for sure. Any spies better within your control? I think. Yep. No matter if he's yep. a double spy, I think that's part of the reason why 
th- you know, initially they let him go. It's probably them they're thinking, well, we know it. We're going to catch him doing something stupid. And if he doesn't, he's at least here. You know what I mean? He's not going to be right. doing something else. Like we can at least keep an eye, our eye on him until he does mm-hmm. this kind of a getaway plan with some extravagant, uh, you know, uh, Leaflet. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the stuff as a kid that you think about, you know, like secret gadgets and stuff, but it's like yeah. more practical like that. Yeah, like hidden compartments in plain sight. Um, the fact that he found the note in a like a book. Yeah. And had to wait for a man with a candy bar. What if it was just a man with a candy bar? Yeah. You done fucked up. Then your life's on the line. Yep. Because could be. they're a note that you're missing. It could <laughs> I be. I mean, like, what if, <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> you don't, man. Um, and I funny know. enough, okay, so uh, I'm going to tie this up for Gordievsky. We'll take a break and we'll come okay. back for one of the other agents that we're talking about and then end off with um, some of the mystery around it still. Um, but essentially, okay, cool. right, he's in the, the hump of the car. He is mm-hmm. able to drive through several checkpoints with no trouble until they had to stop in, at Soviet customs. And when they reached mm-hmm. the border, um, the driver turned off the engine. Gordievsky could hear dogs close by. So... You know, oh God. sniffed. You know, searching dogs. Um, yep. And he later learned um, that they were Alsatians. Alsatians, sorry. And where in minutes passed, basically, imagine you're in the trunk of the car. You're hearing dogs, yeah, engines just off. Waiting to His be fear is through the roof. He started having yeah. trouble breathing at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, the women inside the car start fed the dogs potato chips to distract them, acting like they love the dogs. Like, <laughs> oh, hey, look at the dogs! Started feeding the potato chips again. Oh my god! to throw off any scent. And finally, the car started up again, and the radio, which had been playing pop music, suddenly boomed out. Uh, Sibelius, uh, Finlandia, he was free. Ah, uh, okay, he made it. That's not nice. how, awesome. How insane is that story? That's terrifying. Yeah, hundred percent. I've kind of been there for sixteen years. Yeah, and he's been a spy for had eleven. To, Double had to spy. Sneak out in the in a crawl space in a car. <laughs> yeah, the the whole weight in the pile of grass next to the curb of the roadside. Yeah, that's insane. Hoping that these two cars that pop out aren't the <laughs> your KGB agents that they're gonna. Yeah, just waiting for a dog not to find you and sniff you out. Yeah. Think yeah. about those women who gave him potato chips. The true winners there. <laughs> that could have yeah. went all. That could have all crumbled. <laughs> I know, definitely. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of, of a potato chip. <laughs> that's right. That's that's the lesson here. <laughs> that is the lesson. The lesson here as we go to a break. <laughs> yep. As we <laughs> Never end underestimate this potato lesson. chips. Uh, let's take a break and we'll be back. All right. Right, we are back. We're back. Thanks for listening to that ad. Um, I do just want to mention, completely non-sponsorship related, I ordered a mug before we even reached out to them. Um, yeah. And I've had that mug on the way, and this kind of lined up as an opportunity that we set up. So I feel pretty good about that, and I look forward to getting that mug. Yeah, please go check them out. Yeah. Um, so right. back to the story. So that kind of rounds off Gordievsky's crazy story. <laughs> right. Crazy yeah, story. Escape. Um, now I want to touch on a, a second member within those three spies I touched on earlier. Um, okay. Bokin. So we're going to jump in there and then we'll go from there. Sound good? Okay. Yeah. So 
in Athens, as I mentioned where he was at the scene before, the second scene, um, Bokeng called an emergency telephone number that rang in the, in the CIA station inside the American embassy. He asked mm. for a fictitious Greek employee, and he was responded with, you have the wrong number, he was told. The code it exchanged <laughs> triggered a meeting that night with his CIA case officer, Dick Reiser, who cabled headquarters in Langley that Blizzard, <laughs> codenamed Blizzard, was right. in trouble. And soon there was a plan for an exfiltration, the CIA's term right. for spiriting an agent in danger out of a foreign country. Okay. Five days after Boken received the cable about his son, right, he took his wife and their 10-year-old daughter, Maria, to the beach. He'd never told his wife that he was working for the, for the CIA. It would have wow. put her in moral, mortal danger if he had. But now he had to say something. So, as they walked on the beach that Saturday, he said his career was in trouble, and there was an exchange of where would she ever want to live in the West. And right. his wife asked, what country? And he said, it doesn't matter, he said. And quoted a Russian proverb that basically says, if you love somebody, you will, you will have heaven even in a tent. And she, she responded, I don't want to live in a tent. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that's, so, that's wife material right there. So he dropped it, sensing that he was getting into dangerous territory. Um, okay. They had a lunch, and Boken knew that it might be his last meal with his family. And so Maria brought a stuffed Greek doll called a patatouf. And after they drove home, he packed a gym bag and announced that he was going for a jog. Then he kissed his wife and daughter goodbye. He drove around Athens in his BMW for close to an hour to make certain he wasn't being followed. Then he walked into a 100-foot pedestrian tunnel under a highway. Riser was waiting in a car at the other end. Some real just movie-level stuff. Um, Damn. Think about that family. In the back seat were a jacket, hat, and sunglasses. Boken put them on, and as Riser drove to a safe house. After dark, they left for a small airport where Boken boarded a CIA plane. After stops in Madrid, Frankfurt, um, and a a military jet flew them across the Atlantic at that point. And at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, he looked out of the window and saw several black cars and people on the tarmac. He asked if they were yeah. there to greet an important diplomat. No, he was told, they're here for you. He walked down the steps and shook oh, wow. hands with waiting CIA officers. Welcome to the United States. So that's the wow. second story. He left his daughter and can you Yeah, what that? happened to his family? That's my first concern is like, well, if they never knew, see them again? I, I don't, I didn't follow up, but that was the end of the story. I think he just left them. Aren't, aren't, they, aren't they still in danger whether they knew or not? I mean, like, they're definitely being brought in to be talked to and, like, you know? Like, that, yeah. that is definitely a thing that they're immediately in danger still when you leave. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is kind of the separate side of that. So, you know, we talked about uh, Polshek, right? The son of uh, the third spy. Basically, mm-hmm. remember, he got picked up uh, by the KGB. And right. essentially, so this is kind of probably like maybe what they went through. After months of interrogation, um, and- Andrei Polshek told his captors he wouldn't answer any more questions unless they told him who his father worked for. So he didn't even okay. know, right? And that's wow. when they showed him a piece of paper with the words, in quotes, I met Joe. He said it was in his father's handwriting, and Leonid 
Polshek knew his first CIA uh, case officer who had recruited him in Nepal as Joe. Hmm. So that's how the KGB basically um, connected, connected him. Right. And it was the KGB's way of saying that his father worked for the CIA. Right. And before Leonide, his father, left Lagos, he had asked the CIA for $20,000 to buy an apartment that was supposedly waiting for him. The agency cautioned that it would be too risky for him to bring that much cash through the airport and told him the money would be in Moscow, stashed, hmm. stashed inside a fake rock. Can, now, again, we're touching <laughs> on all the CIA things here, but yeah. dang. Imagine That's you're strolling awesome. through a big city in Moscow. You pick up a rock that looks like a normal rock. You find 20K underneath it. Yeah. That's pretty wild. <laughs> Crazy. Um, yeah. But, but essentially, um, yeah. So essentially, right, that, that's what he was asking to do. Um, mm-hmm. And what neither the CIA uh, nor Polshek knew was that the apartment that was a KG, KGB operation the Soviets had arranged for the apparent good news to reach his wife through a friend and former co-worker in Moscow, who wrote her in Lagos. So, Polshuk was lured back to his fate. So, at this point, he was play, being played cat and mouse with, right? Where right. they set up the apartment, right? Again, remember the son was like, good news, you have an apartment. Suppo- yes. Supposedly. So, essentially, Leonid never made it to the rock, his son explains. A Russian TV documentary shows a shadowy figure picking it up, but Andre and Andre the son said it was an actor and not his father. Oh, yeah. So in June 1986, the son or Leonide was tried and predictably convicted, and um, so he was picked up essentially, and the son was allowed to visit him in prison only once after he was sentenced to death. Basically, wow. at first, he couldn't even recognize him, he goes on to say. Um, he said he lost sh- so much weight. He was thin, pale, and sick. Um, 100% basically, they he tortured was, the crap out of him. 100%. Essentially, mm-hmm. he explains that he looked like a walking dead man and that he could wow. sense he'd been tortured. He was then, the, the Leonide, his father, was executed on July 30th. The KGB told him that his father's remains was cremated and there would be no grave. Wow. So dishonored him, basically just um, got rid of wow. him. Wow. Yeah. So That's crazy. I thought that was insane as well. Um, and another point here I didn't realize, but in the history, I guess what we know of, who knows, of the U.S. intelligence yeah. agency, there's only been three major role, moles, um, basically men whose betrayals had lethal, lethal results um, right. and have been identified. So... If there's been more, they've not been identified other than those three major moles that have been discovered. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah. So before you would Ames, assume there right, be more because there are hundreds of people. There has to be hundreds uh, of people employed at these. Dude, places. crazy, crazy amount. Um, I know I didn't touch do on. Do you ever the think? Thre- go for it. I was going to say, do you ever think that uh, that you know someone who could be an actual agent themselves? Maybe we've passed cross paths you know right like maybe we've walked across like a busy may, street maybe i worked a night shift with him once you know maybe just yeah, some random dude who, who needed a, a cover for a night and worked a <laughs> literally be anybody jeff go back through and think of those folks who just showed up at your work for like a couple months or a month and then just disappeared you never know <laughs> yeah never know about yeah. those guys or women 
Um, mm. But I did want to touch on before I kind of continue on a little bit. Uh, sure. So I, I should have done this at the front, but some little back history on KGB, M16, and GRU, who were the main proponents in this these stories. Um, okay. The KGB, I don't know if you you know or not, but essentially was the primary security agency for the Soviet Union from 1954 until its collapse in 1991. Um, mm-hmm. The KGB, you've heard jokes about it. I've heard jokes about, you know, through the office and other sources, right? The yes, KGB, right? The, um, <laughs> yeah. the office, that's what you're quoting? <laughs> yeah, the KGB will wait for no that, one. That's where I uh, heard it. <laughs> so... <laughs> They served as a multifaceted role outside of and within the Soviet Union, working as both an intelligence agency and a force of even secret police. Um, it was oh, wow. also tasked with some of the same functions as the Department of Homeland Security in the, in the United States, safeguarding the country from domestic and foreign threats. Um, right. I didn't know this, but the KGB stands for, um, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say it, Essentially, it translates to Committee for State's uh, secu- Security. So, okay. A um, little touch on the KGB. Maybe another little note here was that um, notably, current Russian Federation head of state, Vladimir Putin, once worked for the KGB mm-hmm. <laughs> as, really? a foreign inta- as a foreign intelligence officer from 1975 oh to 1991. God. Just might be. Useful to understanding maybe why he's in. I don't oh know. I don't want to. I don't know. I, I don't want to touch on it. <laughs> not not the deep dive, dude. But I just saw a video of him uh, negotiating with like a plant that wouldn't open. Yeah, and he I don't, he showed up himself and his negotiation tactics, dude. I don't want to be dude. on the other end of that. Honestly, no, scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was an interesting um, thing about the KGB. But there was a, another thing too, maybe here to put some more fear inside of you. Um, okay. <laughs> the KGB <laughs> was established. Room. Right. The KGB was established under the lead, uh, leadership of Soviet Premier uh, Nikita Khrushchev. Um, its okay. precursor was the People's. Cause, I'm not going to say it. Essentially, <laughs> the People's State Security. Because I'm just going to butcher it and I'm going to be made fun of. I know it. Someone's no, going to make fine. laugh at you're me. Fine. Um, <laughs> basically, they operate immediately prior to and during World War II, right? When Joseph Stalin was mm-hmm. the head of state. Um, I do want to mention, basically, I'll just summarize here, that as new leadership came on, they started getting more ballsy and putting hundreds of agents throughout the United States. So, you know, just expanding their their uh, repertoire of information gatherers. <laughs> wow. So um, maybe we're, we've come across a few of those as well, you know? Um, I feel like we yeah, probably more than likely... What? Out of 300 million people. Sorry, I was I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. I was going to say, uh, there's a bit of a time lag, but essentially I was going to mm-hmm. say, I f- we would have better chance of interconnecting inter- with someone else's spy than the CIA spy, in my opinion. Because again, oh, we've probably sent them all over other people's right. countries, not our own, uh, right. would be my assumption. So. Now I'm suspicious of yeah. everyone. <laughs> don't don't so that night shift worker is no longer a CIA plant. <laughs> right. He's a KGB uh <laughs> undercover KGB yeah. officer. He's like, what still. do you know about the US government, huh? Yeah, and essentially <laughs> I'm gonna put air quotes KGB Buddy? were, you know, uh fragmented. They, you know, would a ball it, you know, like fell down sure, and they were sure, no sure. They, there's a different yeah, name. They don't exist anymore. It's mm-hmm. a different name now, but I wouldn't yeah. doubt it, you know. 
Um, yeah. Next Some up, sort of I just wanted to touch. Lives, probably. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, the next up M16, you've probably seen a lot of these, uh, or know quite a bit more about M16. That's, that's James Bond. I was about to say, yeah. Um, it's again, it doesn't need too much explaining British government agency responsible for the collection and analysis of appropriate dissemination of foreign intelligence. What a mouthful. Um, they did espionage activities, the like, um, like our CIA, um, basically, though, here's the thing that caught me a fun fact about this one um, was that okay. it's existed in various forms since the establishment, Jacob, of a secret service in 1569 by Sir Francis yeah. Wals- Walsingham, wow. who, who became state secretary of the Queen Elizabeth, um, and it was con- constituted in its present form in 1912 by Commander Mansfield coming as part of Britain's attempt to coordinate um, intelligence activities prior to the outbreak of World War One. So, yeah. um, fun fact I'm pretty fact sure, there. too, that, like, for America, um, I believe the first um, spy network being used was uh, commissioned by George Washington. Am I wrong? Um, I don't know. I, I, I know- believe that's a thing. Maybe, but I, there's a TV show on it. I watched an episode of two. This is going to sound horrible for my history. No, that yeah. I'm quoting was from there's a uh, a called Double Spy. I think it used to be on History Channel, um, and it was about it had the dude. This is gonna don't get, let me get off on a tangent. So cut me off here. Okay, but there was a guy <laughs> no, from it. the movie Jumper, right, with Hayden Christensen, oh, the second lead yeah. character. Um, I can't remember yes. his name. Was the main character in this history TV show about the double spies? Being the first spies uh, with the he's a big uh, actor, man. He was in Split, right? Is he in Split? Is he that guy? Me, yes, I think. Oh gosh, don't make me look this up. It's okay. Another time, we'll, <laughs> we can we can figure that out. But essentially, so right. um, yeah, the roots go deep. But we like that's what we're finding out. The roots go deep here. Yes, people have that's always really wanted cool. to know things, and to know things, you have to be undercover. Yes. Man, and just all the stuff that never gets told. Like, think of the stories that are never told ever. Yeah. Um, that they know, like, that's that's part of the job, right? A part of the job is knowing that, like, yeah, no one's going to know your contribution to history, and you may die in secrecy, and literally people don't know you exist. Yeah. Like, that's that's a part of a job. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild, but uh, true. And, again, like... I don't say they're necessary, but they, they are in today's world. Obviously things are getting more digital than that. Um, yeah. for spying purposes. Yeah. You know? I w- so the, the, the TV show that I touched on ve- at the very beginning, Spycraft, mm-hmm. you would, I think you'd be really into it. Um, yeah, there's a story. So what I, again, I say these things with grand hopes. Um, I would love to, grand I think hopes. what I want to do is just any, th- any spy stories that come across that really grab me. I want to kind of make a, a, a ongoing uh, theme we come back to in a podcast and a spy theme throughout this history podcast just because yeah. it attracts me so much to the stories. Um, I automatically think of one every single time I saw a history channel debut on it about a, uh, I think it was a Chinese assass- uh, assassination. Yeah. That's always forefront in my mind. Yeah, dude. Okay. Well, give so me the touchstones. Like yeah. Let's just give me the touchstones. Okay. So, um, from what I remember from this documentary, again, it's been a long time. Um, but basically he built a, like a dart, a poison dart gun 
on his back um, through a tube. So that way when he bowed to the emperor, it got a clear shot when his head was down because it was like taped to his back. Yeah, yeah. And he leaned down far enough during a thing to shoot it, poke him with poison, and kill an emperor. What? Did it work? Yes, it worked. What? It was a yeah, it worked. <laughs> it was spring lo- it was a spring loaded dart with poison on it. Yo, evil genius. And all it did type. was yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that is a long time ago. That's not anywhere near this timeline, but assassinations and crazy shit like that have been happening like forever. And I I love to so, hear about the stories mainly because they just pique my movie curiosity. I know it's about real people. And yes. the real people are dead like but the thing is though. Yes. You're in the spy agency, like you're you're taking up a mantle there. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to expect when you're doing double agent stuff. Maybe they had no choice, but that's the line of work. Just seems like a tough line of work. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> like the most stressful. Like you literally have to leave your wife and kids who you probably love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm never gonna see you again, but this is my job. Otherwise, I'm gonna die. Like that's yeah. that is uh. A very high, high standard for work, but you 100%. know, um, some people a, do a, it. A last little paragraph here that I thought I'd mention as kind of a wrap okay. up, but sure. those, are, those are the main stories I want to touch on that fascinated me. Um, and that were not too in our too far distant, uh, history. Um, mm-hmm. but intelligence agencies, right? If you're an intelligence agent, agent, right? You can't let this go. If it's an unsolved mysteries, you can't tolerate it. You can't tolerate no. loose ends in this business of uh, on a knife's edge. <laughs> like no, uh, and so and most of the time you would assume that they're they stay within house. Like people stay there for years because obviously, where are you going to go to work? Where are you allowed to go after this? After knowing this information, nowhere. Um, well, listen so to this. You're talking Kay. about this mole could still be there. Exactly. So so you you speak to what I'm just about to touch on. So long mm-hmm. after the massive losses in 1985. Right, because I mentioned those are the three stories, but there's basically more than we know, and the handful they released that were got executed, got caught, imprisoned, and yeah. turned over. Um, so basically, the lingering questions still gnaw, still gnaw at their counterintelligence experts. Um, one being Milton Bearden, who held several senior posts um, in the, the intelligence CIA agency. Um, Throughout his 30-year career, basically, he says he's convinced there was a traitor. He's saying this after 30 years in the CIA, saying he's convinced there's still a traitor. There's someone still there. Yes, still undetected. quiet for 30 years. And he says some of it just didn't add up. The mole isn't just some guy who stole a few secrets. He might be dead or he's living in some random place now. And the intelligence culture is not going to let that go. There's no statue no. of limitations for espionage. And these things yeah, have to no. be run mm. to ground. That's his quote. Yep. And so if that there guy is, a fourth is on the mole, run for the rest of his life and he better not fuck up. Or, or, you know, whoever he, who got the information, received the information, right, these agencies could have took him out too. So that way their plan yeah. never, you know, like the double cross, yeah, double man. cross. Think um, about that. Think about the secrets that some people take to their graves. I mean, like that's like heavy. that'd be one. You do something like that, you know, it's like, yep, never tell another soul in my entire life. Not even and a it's all, moment. 
it's all based in our world of importance that we deem worthy. You know, think about right. that too. Yeah, that's like true. We, it's, this is not about, this is about survival for them, but it's about our countries after their countries, our land, your land, you know, like sure. it's, it's our own built, <laughs> it's our own little, uh, I don't know, ecosystem, quite literally, of course, ecosystem, but you it know, is. we build this yep. and we deem it worthy it to true. assassinate, spy, create these elaborate plans right, for the good of your country versus another. Right. Yep. And so it's kind of uh, a weird thought there. A little heady. It's a definitely a weird line. Yeah. Um, basically if there was a fourth mole and he's still alive, the FBI would surely want to c- catch him still and prosecute him. Uh, the yeah. CIA would want to de- debrief him, right? To try to determine the full extent of his treachery. And if it should turn mm. out that the mole is no longer alive, the intelligence agencies would still run a damage assessment to try to reconstruct what and whom he might have betrayed. Um, right. That the KGB ran a, in quotes, fourth mole is undeniable. Victor Churchson, a willy KGB counterintelligence officer, has written. Um, of course, this officer who I just mentioned, who worked in the Soviet embassy in Washington and handled Ames, may have been unable to resist a chance to taunt the FBI and the CIA by saying that. Um, mm-hmm. By saying, "Oh no, this they definitely would have had a fourth mole, right? Oh, Maybe yeah. that's another attempt to kind of get underneath the the trust of each other." Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, like why don't you just? There's so many spies in there right now. Like that's what you would do: play yeah. head games and like send them on goose chases. Of course, anything you yeah. can do, give yourself so a it, one up. It goes on to kind of mention a few other people who mentioned they still think there was another one. Um, but it, mm-hmm. I do want to mention, it is also possible that Gordievsky, Bokan, and Polshuk fell under KGB suspicion through some normal operational error or communications sure. intercept. Um, but some highly experienced U.S. counterintelligence agencies, um, experts, d- doubt it. Um, yeah. And that's why we're still a mystery. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's the story I wanted to touch on. That's the spy story, Jake. Wow, that's nuts. That's nuts, man. Crazy stuff. There's a ton more here. Again, that's that's it. One oh, year, yeah. Jake. That's one year. I mean, a big problem because it's one of the big moles stories of you know our time. Right. But, but there's still. so much here I want to touch on. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I yeah. Know there's there's so many like cool stories like that. I definitely want to come back and do some sort of like list of like crazy, crazy things like that, like assassinations, like spy. Uh, spy tech, like weird situations yeah. that we do know of, because you got to know that there's lots of stories out there, but also a lot hidden. Well, here, I'll, can I? I want to give a bullet point of this spycraft show that you probably will like. So, in the, one of the first episodes, the first episode, um, it goes on to say how you know the the bugging of embassy personnel and just embassy buildings in general um, have mm-hmm. been extreme levels of just nuttery (laughs) like to try to get audio and information out there's a story of a guy who unbeknownst to him had his shoes hollowed out of the heel and there was a a radio signal being transmitted from his shoes that he wore to work every day um there's a story about this one kind of got me because it was very much a cia operation fbi Mm -hmm. operation that was just elaborate right so in this new um, Russian embassy, I can't remember where it was placed, but essentially at the very top, there's a drain pipe. 
Right. And they built an optical illusion into the drain pipe where if you looked down it from the top, it looked like it just went down and that, you know, it's a normal mm-hmm. drain pipe. But essentially it got thicker as it went down. And so they were able to run it. It was hollowed in the center. So where they r- ran a coil that had all of the, the wires from the building running to this coil, right? It had an explosive right. charge and a, um, a signal like, uh, I don't, like a radio signal wave, uh, just uh, basically a piece of tech there, right? Yeah. So, right, once it gets there, and there's also a coil of wire that's wrapped around this whole drain pipe, okay, like hundreds mm-hmm. of feet of wire. So they had to wait until it was storming and th- a thunderstorm until they could blow the charge. They had to time it with the lightning strike to blow the charge so that way it would release the wire, coil of wire, that had the um, you know all the, the phones unbeknownst to the people in the embassy um, running to this wire. It had to be mm-hmm. fl- it flushed down with the drain, down underneath the building into the sewer, and underneath that sewer there was a big, you know, like in those movies where you see a big sewer like underneath the building where you're like, we can get up yeah. through here, you know? Yes. It falls down into that where an FBI agent was waiting for it. They had a pre-designated terminal underneath ground, underneath <laughs> the ground for it, where they then connected those wires that fell down into this unit and then could have audio for every room in the building. That's Digital nuts. audio through every room in the building. That's nuts. Like, that's, that's what crazy, got me man. into this. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. What kind of multi-year plan is this? <laughs> Yeah, like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, serious business. This yeah. is this is their entire. They're literally the whole point of that is to never get caught and do crazy shit like that. All the so. way down to the construction of the building. So like that yeah. had to be a plan. Oh, for sure. You know, um, it, it had to be insane. It is not. But that's all I got for you, Jake. That's all I got for you, casual historians. That's that's a really really good podcast, Jeffrey. Thank you for bringing that in. Of course. Uh, I was very entertained. We're definitely going to have to do some more stories on this because that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Yep. You bring the next one. All right. Definitely will. All right, everyone. All right. We will catch you next week. That's right. We'll see you next week with another podcast. Thank you guys for listening if you made it this far. And, uh, yeah, just thank you for all your support. Bye.